Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, an SB Nation blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am Will Chase, joined tonight by Pale Dragon. PD, what's up? Hey, Will. What's going on? Seeds, Eric Seeds. What's up? Good to have you on. And Elaine Shercliffe. What's up, Elaine? Hey, not much. Just recovering from all the women's hockey I watched this weekend. There was a lot of hockey. Lots of hockey. Uh, lots of news going on, of course. And we'll start with the... Obviously, the big news. So the Miko Koivu plays tomorrow. Exactly. That's exactly the news. <laughs> Actually, I was going to start with Thursday's loss to the Lightning, but yeah. So obviously, the Blue Jackets played on Thursday against the Lightning on NBC, but of course, not the loss that was the main headline, but the Pierre Luc Dubois being benched after a less than optimal shift in the first period by John Tortorella. So Blue Jackets were a man down the rest of the way. They went to overtime, couldn't quite pull it out. But uh, basically, we kind of I think we all kind of figured after Thursday that it was just a matter of time before that bombshell was dealt with one way or the other. So PD, uh, I don't think any of us were surprised. I'm just glad that it's kind of just done with now. PLD goes to the Jets for Patrick Line, Jack Roslovic, and a draft pick will be going to uh, Winnipeg as well. Yeah, so so we have to start with talking about Thursday. With what? So you said the Jackets played on Thursday. I think it's more accurate to say there were uh, 18 Blue Jackets that played on Thursday. Uh, <laughs> Dubois put on a jersey, and he, right. he was out on the ice for five shifts. Uh, I don't know if you can describe it as playing hockey, though. Uh, I'm not sure that the puck actually touched his stick at any point. Uh, that was a bizarre situation. And and I would say that what we saw from him is not what I expected. Um, you know, obviously the entire team seemed to be playing under a cloud for the first four games. Um, and I, you'd have to imagine that him very publicly wanting out was a factor there. But, you know, he's always been such a... Uh, hard pl- hard worker you know and a player a that, gamer that, that, yeah you know so i thought well you know we can get through this right we can you know set the stuff aside and just play the season like you know when when we knew that panarin was was eyeing his way out you know he still had an amazing season still set jackets records you know so I, I was hoping that we could see the same from from dubois you know keep playing well build up your trade value 
you know, something like that. Um, yep. So to see him uh, loaf. just loaf like that was very bizarre and unexpected and very disappointing. disappointing. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's one thing if you want out, but, you know, when you signed a contract to play here, um, you know, I think you owe it to, to yourself, to your coaches, to your teammates to go out there and play like you're supposed to, you know, you might not be happy to be here, but you're, you know, you're making, you know, an average of $5 million a year to be here and play. Um, and it was interesting watching all this unfold, uh, like on social media, you know, when it was reported that he hadn't played in a while, you know, there was a lot of reaction like, Oh, this is torts being torts. People thought the torts was being, you know, vindictive because of the trade demand and all that. But then, but then once the clip went out of his entire shift and especially the end of the shift, uh, you yeah. know, then the narratives shift. Even people who aren't big fans of torts are like, "Oh, that's bad. That's bad on Dubois' part." Like you, everyone understood, like, "Oh, yeah, you gotta, you have to bench the guy for that." Now, I think that there could be debate as to how much he should have been punished. Like, do you just sit him for the period and then talk to him during the first intermission? You know, or do you need to sit him for longer to really send the message home? Because I do think. You know, if you're in a close game and you end up sending it back out there, does it send the wrong message? Like, oh, because you're good, you can, you don't have to sit as long. Or, and then I think it also ruined the trust between Dubois and Torts and the rest of the Jackets, you know, to say, you know, if you throw him back out there in the second period or the third period or the overtime, what if he does that again? You know, can you trust that he's going to continue giving his all every shift? I obviously wrote a very long-winded piece for the for on jacketscanon.com the next day kind of articulating most of my thoughts on this scenario. I was of the mindset that maybe you don't bench him for the entire game, but I I wasn't I'll, I'll admit I wasn't paying super close attention to the game and 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 then as news was breaking, I, I was watching a movie. I um yeah, we were we were watching a movie, and I just kind of was following along on Twitter, and I saw PLD was benched, and he hasn't played in thirty minutes, and I was like, oh, this is just torts. Then I saw the clip of the shift, and I'm like, mother of God, dude! Like so something had very clearly broken with this fr- with this relationship. This relationship was fractured beyond repair, and it was only a matter of time. Now. Those of you who are regular readers and listeners of the canon know I'm not the biggest fan of John Tortorella, but I thought that he was in the right to at least sit Dubois down and tell him, look, whatever, as long as you are here, you, as long as you are here and you are putting on that sweater, you have a responsibility to not just the fans, but to the organization and to your teammates and to yourself, frankly, to get out there and act like you give a damn on the ice. You have to get out there and put forth effort so long as you are putting on that jersey, which is why like when the game was over and they were asking Torts about, you know, I'll, I'll know you. I'll know when it's a bench. Like, that's why he, you know, went out and benched him because you have to prove that point that it's not what what he did is not okay. You have you can't let him set that example for younger players on the roster, or you know just let that infect the rest of the team. I I think that that effort that effort on Tuesday or on Thursday night, like it kind of crystallized. Like I I did not expect him to play at all on Saturday, even if he wasn't traded. I expected him to be healthy, scratched. I did not expect to see like it seemed like such a 
moment that this has all come to a head that this like Thursday night, it just felt like this is the last we will see of Pierre Luc Dubois in this sweater. It just, it just felt like that. And then, and, and it was weird. Like, like PD, you mentioned all the stories on Twitter. I listened to 31 thoughts the next morning while I was getting ready for work and walking the dog and stuff. And I heard like in, in like very rarely do Friedman and Merrick record like, something extra after their pod but they went back and record like a whole 15 minute intro after that game was over and Friedman was talking he's like you know I was watching Winnipeg Toronto and he's like all of a sudden on social media it was circulating that Dubois wasn't playing Dubois was benched and he's like and then I went back and watched that shift and he's like I understand why he's not playing and then he's like I I, it became very clearly the biggest story of hockey that night it 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 was the it was kind of the story surrounding the club but like once once that happened Thursday night, it became the story in the hockey media, and it was going to very clearly be a thing until something happened. And yeah. finally, um, the most obvious trade it seems like always that was always on the table was the best offer, and Yarmo pulled the trigger to get this guy out of the locker room. Like it, it just kind of all came to a head on Thursday night where. Tortorella benched him for his terrible play, but like maybe was making an example out of him. Like this was kind of like Jeff Merrick on 31 thoughts had a theory that like, this was kind of a plan benching and like Torts was always going to bench him for a lack of effort in his attitude, but he didn't know when he was going to do it. And Pierre-Luc Dubois kind of forced his hand. So I don't know, but I, one thing I'll push back on there with what Merrick said is I don't think that Torts was looking for an excuse to, bench Dubois necessarily because I think if Dubois was playing like Dubois has played for you know the entire three years of his career I think Torts would have been happy to keep playing him just like Torts kept playing you know Panarin and Bobrovsky and all that you know even when they wanted out so I think you know Torts will reward uh, the players that are putting in the effort you know Uh, but I certainly think that once Dubois showed anything less than full effort that um, you know Torts was not going to tolerate that so I think maybe Torch was on more more alert for a shift like that. You know, maybe with the guy, he'll he'll give him slack for, you know, one bad shift. But when it becomes a pattern like that, then, yeah, I think certainly Torch uh, was not going to miss the opportunity to, to take immediate action to nip that in the bud. Well, first of all, I hated that everyone that wasn't watching the game decided to comment on the situation. It just annoyed me because they were like, oh... Like it's all torts and they rip torts apart and then they were ripping PLD apart and then they were ripping just the team apart. And I'm like, you're literally going off of the one tweet that someone put out. And like, I had to actually go back and look at, look at the game to see where this happened. Cause I, for the life of me did not remember him. You know, sometimes you miss when a player's on the ice and I'm like, wow, PLD's having a really quiet game. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, that tweet came out and I was like, Oh my gosh, wait. And I went back and realized it. And then it was just, it was bad. Like he shouldn't have played like that. And people brought up about how he checked out of the game. And that when, when you're at a job, that's toxic, wouldn't you check out too? And I'm like, yes and no. Like if it was toxic, why did he stay in sign? Or was it just now becoming so bad? Like, none of us really know what was going on in that locker room. And I just, I don't know. I I'm just tired of national media and people who aren't jackets fans who aren't watching jackets games, just kind of ripping the team apart and giving their two cents without, 
without actually knowing what they're talking about. Yeah, I agree, which, which is why I was pleasantly surprised when I saw enough people that did go look at his shifts and reassessed their initial reaction. John Lee Grandpierre had that good breakdown of that shift, basically, of PLD and... You know, you can even tell just from his words, the way he yeah. said it, it was like, yeah, that's not that's not going to fly. Right. And Steve Dangle did. I mean, Steve, Steve Dangle's video, I thought was very good after him. You know, he came out and he like basically apologized for talking crap about the situation without right. knowing. And I wish more people would have done Fr- that. And Friedman, to <laughs> his credit, like said that he went and watched the whole shift and is like, yeah, Torch was deserved benching him. Like, and, and Merrick agreed with yeah. him. Like, yeah. But did it need to happen for the whole entire game? I just. Yeah. Well, that's where I'm at. An that's what I was going to say. So that's what I was thinking, because I'm kind of glad the situation is just over anyway, because even if he did just bench him for the first period and then he comes back and plays and maybe they kind of, you know, are are both agree to disagree or both agree to just kind of move forward together. This drama would still be happening, I feel like. So I'm just glad it's over and that it was, I guess, as extreme as it was for this, for, as you said, to force their hand and make this move happen and you know so obviously the blue jackets get patrick line and jack roslovic a draft pick in 2022 will be headed to the jets the jets are also retaining part of line's salary so i hate giving up a guy in dubois i feel like they've been trying to get another center to go along with dubois they had duchene briefly then they get max domi so now we're back to basically potentially one center and of course texier is another guy we're looking at. But in general, I like the pure goal-scoring aspect that uh, Line A is bringing. We'll see what Roslovic can kind of do. But, Seath, I'll start with you. So, obviously, forgetting the fact that, you know, you're losing a center in Dubois, but you're picking up a needed goal score in, in, in Line A. And we'll see what Roslovic can kind of contribute, you know, what he can do. But, you know, how do, they, how do you think these pieces are going to fit now? with this team well they got a uh, goal scorer to play alongside dubois and it only cost him dubois um, <laughs> it's a very gift of the magi yeah. situation <laughs> yeah One forward, two steps back <laughs> the way i look at it uh Roslovic is fine he's probably nothing more than a bottom six guy i just i don't really rate him as Obviously like the the, line, the, the yeah whatever. Um, obviously the main the main bulk of this trade is Line A for Dubois. Patrick Line A does one thing exceed at an elite level in the NHL, and that's put the puck in the net. He's not very good defensively. He's not very good at driving play. He'll get assists by feeding other guys to finish plays, but he doesn't drive play and create offense the way Artemi Panarin did here. But he is absolutely elite at putting the puck in the net, which if you're going to be elite at one thing in the NHL, as Alex Ovechkin has shown, you can make a pretty damn good career out of it. It's, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, He, uh, uh, Line A should, uh, he's very, he's very good at five on five. He's absolutely elite on the power play, which can only one would think only help, but we've seen this power play be literally the league's worst since 2017. So how much wizardry can one man truly do? But um, could be a big, big help though. I, I yeah, well, let's <laughs> hope it, it, it can't it hurt. hurt. It, it, it cannot he hurt. He should be showing them the power play. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was, there, there was that report that the Blue Jackets were sending Line A. Um, 
videos of him of how the Blue Jackets power play system is supposed to work. And my sincere hope is that he was just getting those and sending them right. right I was spam. like, talk about setting um, him up for failure. <laughs> yeah, like what? What are you? What are? What are we doing here? Um, pretty maybe he just blocked Brad Larson's email address. <laughs> I don't know. But let's. Uh, but but honestly, I like. I hate giving up a young center under team control right. like that. It absolutely sucks. We obviously don't know the whole story of why things went so sideways, but I guess line A is about as good of a consolation prize as you're going to get. Cause no team's going to give you, I don't know. You're not going to, obviously Nick Suzuki was off the table for Montreal. You're not getting, you know, Quentin Byfield or something out of the Los Angeles Kings. So line A, and Roslevic, two disgruntled players who were who had made it clear that Line, Line had made it clear that he was tired of playing in Montreal, and Roslevic had made it clear that he was yeah. never ever yeah, playing. Yeah, so there much again. so that he stayed home instead of reporting. I was wondering about that. Yeah, so they those two guys had made it clear. It, it was always the very obvious trade that was to be made once Dubois had uh, made his request. So I'm just glad it got done once Thursday happened and it was clear Dubois had played his last game in Columbus. I'm just glad it got done and got out of, yeah. got handled. Yeah. Um, it sounds like, it sounds like, uh, Roslovic is going through COVID protocol, hopefully line and could play as soon as Thursday. Uh, hopefully line a can get here and play relatively quickly. I'm mostly just excited to see whatever line a brings. Hopefully he can just fill the net and, help our god awful power play because I don't want to I don't want it'd be nice to not think oh my god we're going to the power play can we please decline this for once yeah, in four yeah. years it'd be really really nice to think that <laughs> yeah Elaine I was curious you you mentioned before that a lot of players would listen to the podcast did PLD ever listen I don't know I was just curious <laughs> okay what, what, what were you what, what, what? I've never had any interaction with that man in my I didn't life. know you said Wenberg you said Wenberg listened so I was curious but yeah I was curious so Elaine so how do you th- how do you view these parts and and moving forward for, for the jackets this season and going forward? Well, do you want my unbiased account or my extremely Ohio AAA Blue Jackets? The latter. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you both of them. I don't care. Yeah. I am really excited that Jack is back home. Um, it's also nice that there are two people who just really want to be here, and part of that is because of Jack. Um, the way he talks it up and. It, the way he talked it up to, to line a like you you have to love it when a hometown boy goes to another country and all he talks about is how great <laughs> his city is right like we all want that well, you're got him. right and i you know i think jack is a good player I, I don't think that the jets organization are good at molding their players and developing them he got bounced around a lot between the two from Manitoba to the Jets. They moved him around position wise. I feel like he's a better center than a winger. And I hope that he gets to play center. But I mean, you see it with with Winnipeg that they have good players and they just don't get over that cusp. And I just don't think that they were training them to were using their skills properly when they could have. I don't think Jack's like a first or second line. I think he still has some room to grow. I don't think that they'll send him down to the monsters as much as I would love to have a triple A blue jackets line down in Cleveland. (laughs) I I do not think that I'll be seeing that anytime soon. Um, But you know, he, 
I'm I'm happy he's here. I miss as a someone who was part of that program. I'm ecstatic <laughs> that he's here. I think you know energy and attitude. It it really means a lot. Brings a lot of difference to the game. Yeah, you saw it on Saturday. You know, the monkey was off their back. The cloud is lifted. And the team played phenomenally. And I also think part of that is not only because they like they got rid of PLD, but because Nathan Gerby was on that bench. And he knows how to turn it around. He knows how to take his mindset and get everyone in the right mindset before a game. So he was obviously in the locker room with them. He at least, unlike some other people on Thursday night, gives it. <laughs> yeah, That was really nice to see. Yes, exactly. So I I don't know a ton about line A. I mean, I haven't watched his game a lot, but he knows how to score. He is good. He didn't want to be in Winnipeg. He last even last year and he still played well. So how is he going to play when he's at a team that's embracing him and he's having a good time and he's doing what he loves and he's super passionate about it. And his, I think we're going to see an even better um, line A this year. Yeah. So the moment that I felt really good about the trade was when Dave Metzl interviewed Line A during the first intermission yeah. and, and, uh, you know, asked him about goal scoring and Line A's like, you know, what do you mean they need goal scoring help? They just huh. scored three goals in the first period. And, <laughs> They're just and, showing off. They're just showing off for you. And somehow I got like, I had no idea that Patrick Line actually had a personality. Oh, yeah. So uh, again, which speaks to how poorly the NHL does at marketing their stars. But like, this guy seems like uh, he's at an absolute delight. Um, seems like maybe a personality that will fit well in this locker room. Um, the fact that he sounds excited. I don't know. How big, how big is Fortnite in this locker room? Oh, we know where Ensky plays. <laughs> so maybe those guys can bond over that. That would be cool. Um, so yeah, he seems like, you know, this is obviously one of those trades where you have three players who all wanted to change of scenery. So maybe everyone's going to benefit from getting what they want out of it. I do have a concern about, you know, can line a be here long-term because it, if we can't keep him long-term, then giving up Dubois to get him was a lot. But he is under team control for two more years. It's just a matter of, you know, using his arbitration rights. Um, but it sounds like that he and Yarma have already spoken about long-term things. Um, you know, I don't expect that to happen soon. But hopefully, if the season goes well, they can get something done this summer yeah. uh, in early in the offseason. And if they do, uh, I think that could be... Um, a seismic change for the franchise, especially as there's this narrative of why can't we keep stars? Um, but you know, there's not a lot of commitment past 2022. So if Lion decides that he likes it here, he could basically write his check. And if he does that this summer, it says signs an eight year deal for, I don't know, whatever, 10 million a year, whatever he wants. Um, then I think that sends a message to the rest of the room and, you know, maybe a guy like Jones or Rowensky or Domi decides that like, hey, okay, Line A is going to be here for a long time. Bjorkstrand's going to be here for a long time. I want to commit to this as well. The ball can really get rolling if they're able to make that happen. Yeah. And so, you know, hopefully, ho- hopefully, hopefully they are able to do that. Um, you know, yeah, I, you know, w- once I accepted that Dubois was going to be traded at some point, and this goes back even you know before Thursday, I thought, well, the good news is because of his age and because of team control, he's not going to move 
unless Yarmo is getting something really, really good in return. And honestly, getting a player like Line is better than I expected. I thought we'd be looking for someone like like a Nick Suzuki from Montreal. It was a very good player, not necessarily elite, but like maybe can be at Dubois level at some point. But here but he's you have not there now. Right. And, you know, Line is he's elite at something. He has that great shot. He can score goals. And if you're going to be good at one thing in hockey, you want to be good at scoring goals because that's the whole point of hockey is scoring exactly. goals. Um, so if he can come here and do that, that is going to help the team. Um, you know, I've been looking at, you know, reactions from, you know, writers around the league and um, Pierre Lebron at the athletic had a good article today about uh, he got reactions from 10 anonymous executives about their thoughts on the trade. And I think if you go by the judging it based on who got the best player, I think in that case, people give Winnipeg the edge because I think people see Dubois as a better all-around player than Line A. But I think everyone felt like Columbus did as well as they could have given the situation and that they got a really good piece back in Line A. And if you judge a trade based on quantity, then the fact that we got another NHL player in Roslovic is a nice little... So, you know, I think, you know... People were talking about like, oh, hey, Jawab wants out of Columbus, Line A wants out of Winnipeg. Why don't you just trade them for each other? So the fact that we were able to throw in a, a mid-round pick and get a player like Roslovic back, that could be a big win, especially if it's true that Roslovic hasn't hit his ceiling in Winnipeg. Now, I don't have a lot of, I'm not putting a lot of hope in that necessarily, but, you know, he's at least going to get a shot here. And obviously, you know, the fact that he's a hometown kid is a huge story, um, I, you know, I'm trying to like be rational about it and not put too much in the basket of just, oh, let's get all the local kids, you know, because that's not necessarily the way that you build a successful hockey team. But it is huge. You know, he's a guy that was, I think, the, what the first Columbus kid to go in the first round. Um, and the fact that that happened, what, 15 years into the Jackets existence is huge. I mean, other cities took much longer than that to produce their first first round pick. Even at like Pittsburgh, I don't think it wasn't until Umberger that they had a first round pick. And that was, you know, 40 years into their existence or whatever. So, 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 he, you know, he, he represents, you know, a monumental thing for Columbus hockey, as Elaine said, you know, the fact that he, you know, has always promoted the team, uh, you know, another thing in line is interview. He said, you know, Asked, oh, what, you know, what did Jack tell you about Columbus? And he's like, well, according to him, it's the greatest city in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, but like, yes, he's yeah, right. Had, it's the greatest city in the world. Like, so. if you believe him, but uh, he was excited. You know, obviously he was excited. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. 
a little spoiler for you. If a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Both Roslovic and PLD, I think, will do better on their teams this season than probably anyone else because they are home during the pandemic. And I think a lot of people aren't factoring that into how tough it has to be for these players who can't cross the border and be with their families right now, or even fly across the country and be with their families. Um, And and plus like with, with Jack, well, and plus with Jack, like he's now here also with his former coach who knows how to really reach him. So if he's not getting something you know he's going to reach out to like Ed or any of those former coaches and be like, what am I missing? And they're going to be here nearby and they could probably help him break it down a little bit more. So I think both of those two, like those two are set up for a little bit more success than Patrick, just based on that, because I know it's really affecting a lot of players in the, at least the AHL who have come back, who realize that they're not going to see their families for a few months at all when they typically do see them. Yeah. In the case of Line, I read, I read that apparently his, um, he's always had at least one of his parents staying oh. with him in Winnipeg through his career. I don't know if that's still the case. Um, so I don't know if they'll come with him or spend some, come to Columbus. And I wonder how much the, you know, I don't want to ever overstate the, the Finn factor, but the fact that Yarmo's here and the fact that we've got Koivu and Corpusalo, you know, I, it has to help a little bit, right. To have at least right. some, People they have some familiar with their countrymen that you at least talk the language. Maybe it feels a little bit more like home. I, I was going to say, I guess my final thought on the trade is, you know, it all the success and the success of the trade for really both sides, but especially for Columbus, because this is such a franchise altering move. You know, you're giving up your young 23 year old number one center. It really hinges on how not only can they keep Patrick Line? But how does that affect the upcoming free agents who are big ticket guys like Warinsky and Jones going forward? Like that, that will make or break Yarmo's GM career here with this franchise, I think. And it, I, you know, we're taking a big swing here. This is a massive step in a different direction for the franchise, and we'll see what happens going forward. Well, and, you know, see, you've, you've said, you've asked the question, like, you know, why would a guy like, Jones or Wierenski commit long-term. And I mean, do you think though that making a swing for a guy like line a, do you think that that sends the message, a good message to them? Do you think that's persuasive? Getting a guy like line a might, it's what it cost you, sure. <laughs> but, um, Fortnite bros. <laughs> I think if you can like, obviously we we've discussed that I've got an, I'm planning an article in a few, in a week or so, maybe two coming up, on you know kind of reflecting on how this 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 is the biggest deal for Yarmo this is you know his whole you know he's putting his basically career with the jackets on the line here you know it's and the jackets have you know Warinsky Jones Domi the goalies uh basically the entire team outside of Bjorkstrand up in outside of Bjorkstrand and Atkinson up in two summers so like for instance, if you can get into that summer and, you know, you've got line a under contract and you've maybe 
you know, right before the onset of free agency, you can get Domi to commit to staying here long term. That, you know, you've got one year left of, you know, Zach Wierenski is an RFA with arbitration rights. You've got one, so you've got one year left of him. Maybe Jones looks at that and said, and you know, you can keep Elvis for a time because at that point you're going to have to pick one of the goaltenders. But if they haven't by that point, you're going to have to pick one of them. You know, you might be able to get a guy at Jones to say, you know, I've got a center, I've got a goal scorer, and I've got a goaltender here. I can be the number one defenseman here, and we can tinker around the edges. But that's that's some stuff to build on, you know. You, you can maybe make a trade for another center like the St. Louis Blues did. We're, we're basically building Blues East because that's what that's what the Blues did. They they had a they had Tarasenko. They had some goal scorers. They had they found a goaltender and they had a number one defenseman in Petrangelo, and they were able to get hot and win the cup. Yes, you know, and we're maybe, gonna do and, it. We're gonna do it. And, right, and maybe and maybe the Blue Jack and maybe Jones looks at that and that's a, that's a way you can keep him. But that's putting a lot of eggs into. We got to keep these guys. Now, granted, they're going to have the cap space to do most of that, but it's coming down to doing it. Yeah, yeah. And and keeping line a long term, I think, would be a very good step in the right. Well, they're direction. one and zero without PLD so far. So and get line a in that lineup, <laughs> and you know it sucks losing a number one center in Dubois, but it's thrilling that they actually have a legit pure goal scorer. So you know. Maybe maybe we'll fix that yeah. power play. It, it, and, and speaking of Yarmo, it's crazy to think that he's coming up on on eight years since he was hired as GM, and he's had like six blockbuster trades by my counting, maybe seven, depending on if you count the Domi trade. You know, he got Gabrick, he got Saad, he got Jones, <laughs> he got Panarin, he got Duchesne, and now he got Line A. And sometimes he had to give up a lot of pieces for these guys, but like. He has shown that he is not afraid to go out there and make a big deal. And if you look at these kind of like big hockey trades, like star player for star player over the last you know eight years, Yarmo is responsible for what at least half of them <laughs> around the league. Like he's right. the only guy out there consistently making these NBA style trades, and uh, it's certainly not boring. Sorry, with Yarmo's trades though, it is nice to write an article and be like, he traded away something that was legitimately good um and feel like the team might have gotten worse as opposed to when he when before they were trading away average players and we felt like the team was getting even worse (laughs) yeah so (laughs) yeah well so as we touched upon at the top the jackets also played some games last week so and recapping really fast they split two with the red wings and then they Split two with the Lightning. Looking ahead, they have the Florida Panthers, which you said, see, you said uh, Blues East. Well, this would be Blue Jackets South coming in with all the Florida <laughs> Panthers, X Jackets, Bobrovsky's will be starting, Wenberg and uh, Nudavara and all these guys. Uh, of course, Bozito's the GM down there. Uh, and they'll also be playing the Blackhawks this weekend. So looking ahead, PD, I'll start with you. So, uh, you know, Florida's had a couple of games postponed to start the year, so they're just kind of getting into their. They only they've only played Chicago. They they had a series against Dallas and Carolina canceled, so they've only played two games. Uh, they last played last Tuesday. So will they be super rested or will they be super rusty? Uh, I I have a feeling that they're going to be a little bit rusty. So I hope that the Jackets can build on their momentum from the weekend because Saturday was. Saturday was by far their best game of the year. I mean, that was the way that 
they need the to play. The is lifted, if I think. They can be, yeah. Uh, and it's just, you know, they had, they got production from all four lines. They were, you know, aggressive uh, attacking in the offensive zone. They had a good defensive game plan for stopping Tampa. Um, you know, and obviously Florida has fewer weapons than, than Tampa does um, and not the uh, defensive standing. So um, I'm, I'm excited to, I don't, I don't have high hopes for Koivu, but I'm curious to see him see what he can actually do. At least one more game where we have Kevin Stenlin in the lineup because over the last year he's been really good for the Jackets, and I don't know what more he has to do to become a regular part of the lineup. Um, but you know, he had a, an assist on that great Grigorenko goal on Saturday. Um, I would honestly like to see a lineup going forward that features Stenlin in it, even if it means scratching a Koivu or a Nash, because I think he's done enough to earn it. So, and I think, uh, would you say he's paid his dues? I would say that he has paid his dues. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and then the Chicago series at the, just plain and simple Chicago, that is, they're not a good team this year at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they did finally win a couple games against Detroit but, yesterday. Uh, yeah, they, that's, a, that's a, a, a series that we need to, uh, ideally sweep. And if we can get line a for at least the Sunday game, that would be huge. But, uh, you know, I think this is a big week. Uh, the season's already kind of starting to to turn around for the Jackets now. They, you know, three out of four uh, points against Detroit seemed a little underwhelming, but three out of four against Tampa is pretty good. Um, so I think we need to be getting, look, again, looking, if we can get three points out of each of these series, uh, that puts us in a really position, really good position going forward, uh, banking points early in the season. Playing uh, playing Florida, you know, it, it, the, it, the key to beating the Panthers is, well, first of all, they have zero defensive depth. Sergei Bobrovsky won his one and only start this year, and he will be the goaltender on Tuesday night. But he did that with uh, a lot. With Florida allowed 36 shots. He say he allowed four goals and uh, for an 889 save percentage. It's come, stopping beating the Florida Panthers comes down to stopping their big guns, and that's uh, Huberto and Barkov. Barkov and Huberto combined for seven points in Florida's two games. Huberto and Hornquist uh, lead the Panthers with four points apiece. Hornquist has three goals in two games. The Blue Jackets have shown themselves to be susceptible to guys who are just willing to fire it. I'm thinking specifically of Bobby Ryan and the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Bobby Ryan basically owned Columbus for a couple nights there, or for a couple minutes there. So yeah, so it's just... Columbus needs to play their games, play sound defensive hockey, and they were much better at that on Saturday than they had been at any point previously. Um, they limited the they limited point and Stamkos on Saturday, and they just need to they need to build on that and continue to find their rhythm, find their their defensive uh, system that they ran so well last year, while being able to open it up a little more defensively. I'm interested to see a second game without Pierre-Luc Dubois. I'm interested to see what uh, Koivu brings to the lineup. Um, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't have all that high hopes for a guy who's 37 with a blown out knee and coming off of COVID. But I guess we'll, uh, if he if he can, you know, give us 10 minutes a night, win some face-offs and bail off for Alex Texier, yeah. you know, that's fine. I'm fine with that. Like, whatever. I guess I just I want to see Columbus come out and not play passive. I want to see them take it to, frankly, two teams they should on paper beat this week. Like I said, the Florida defensive depth is terrible, and the Chicago is not good outside of Patrick Kane. They're missing uh, 
they're missing basically everybody off that roster. They're missing Taves. They're missing a, uh, a blue line. They're missing goaltending. So this th- this should be of a week where Columbus earns six or seven points and really cements themselves as okay. It, we we struggled to start this year because there was so much strife in the locker room, but we've put that behind us and now we're actually making it, taking a step forward as an organization. And let's hope they do that. The Hawks might've discovered something in Pius Suter who had a hat trick yesterday. And then they also have this new goaltender, Kevin Lincoln. So I don't know. I don't know. He's from Finland also, actually. So, but uh, we'll see if we'll see if he gets some games this weekend, because I know they were trying to go with Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia. So, you know, they're trying to figure out themselves, like you said. They're not a great team, obviously, but we'll see. But uh, you say that, Seeds, I hope they can get, you know, six out of seven points, but we'll see if the letdown factor kicks in. With Florida, uh, as we saw that Keith Yandel still has it because he, uh, you know, Joel Quinville wasn't going to play him and he was going to break his Iron Man streak. And then he decided to play him. Probably, he probably got bullied into it. I don't know. <laughs> And then Yandel scored two goals. So Florida definitely has some scoring power there that's kind of hidden that people forget about. And I think Bobrovsky is going to come in here and he's going to want to try and prove something. So I I feel like those games could go either way. I think they're going to be close. I don't think there's going to be a blowout for sure. No, definitely. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, definitely not a blowout. Um, And with the Hawks, the thing about the Hawks is even – when they're like bad, they still always find some way to sneak in or get close to playoffs. Like they shouldn't have made it last year, but because of COVID they did. And so I never count them out because they always, they just, there's always like that young kid that comes to play to prove himself. Last year was Kubelik. And this year it's this, uh, this Pius Sutter, Sutter, Suter kid. Pius Suter, Suter. yeah. Okay. And then, and I mean, they never should have started Malcolm Subban at the beginning of the season. I wonder if they were just trying to fill him out and see if the defense trusted him because you saw them get in his way, try to steal pucks from him when he was stopping them. Um, so it's probably best that he's not playing right now because the defense just doesn't trust him. But Colin Delia, I mean, I've been watching him with the ice hogs and he, I mean, he knows how to pull out a game when he needs to, and and so does Lankinen. So I feel like for the Blackhawks, they're going to have to score fast and quick and really beat down their spirit for them to completely own them. I think that they will definitely walk away with two wins, but if they want to make it a little bit easier on themselves, I think they need to come in, you know, fast and furious, and the defense needs to be it needs to not let people into the neutral zone. I mean, Michael Del Zotto and Dean Kukin did a really good job of that on Saturday, not letting anyone into the neutral zone. And all of them have to do that against the Blackhawks because once someone like Kane gets in the neutral zone, that's it. You're done for, for the most part. So, um, yeah, yeah. Del Zotto and, and Kukin have been basically our best defensive pair this year so far, which is yes. not what I was, I was literally <laughs> about to say. I did not, I did not, um, foresee this being a season where Michael Del Zotto was, uh, and Polino scoring goals, pair. but here we are. 
Right. Yep. And Jeter had a couple. Fleet was on like, pace like for if, 28 if, goals this year. Like, honest, honest to God, if you go look at the expected goals chart for this franchise right now, it literally looks backwards. It does. Like, and Del, I love Del, it. Delzato, Delzato, Kukin, and Felino are at the top. And, like, Cam Atkinson and before he was traded, PLD are down Looking at the Atkinson, bottom. Let's like, go, Cam. Let's okay. go. Elaine, talk to your guy. Right. I know. I said he was going to win the heart this year. Like, don't make me look stupid, Cam. Elaine Curse. <laughs> I mean, I picked, I picked, I picked McKinnon, and he's apparently trying to make me look stupid. So, so Elaine, so to wrap up the night, you're going to give us highlights of the monster schedule, and you also wanted to wanted to do a quick shout out. The AHL released their schedule on Friday. The monsters are only playing 28 games this season, um, split evenly between home and away. So 14 home, 14 away. Uh, one thing they're playing in the Central Division this season uh, because of travel and the way they had to rearrange the divisions because of COVID and they're not playing everyone in the central though. So they're not playing Iowa this season, but they're playing the Rockford ice hogs, the Chicago wolves, grand Rapids Griffins and the Texas stars. And then they're playing from the North division, their rivals, the Rochester Americans it seems weird with travel, how that would work, why they wouldn't play Iowa. I guess with the amount of games each team is playing, that's just how it has to work out in quarantines like that. Um, a lot of teams in the league are not having fans. Um, and I know for a fact that Rockford is not even having media attend their games. So the Monsters got really lucky <laughs> And they can have a little bit under 2,000 people at the games. I haven't heard yet if media is going to be there or not, but I would assume if they're allowing fans in that we would be allowed in as well. Um, There are no three and threes. There are no back to back to backs. And that makes me so happy (laughs) because those weekends would be very stressful um, trying to cover three games in under three days because it would be 7 p.m., 7 p.m., and then 1 You can p.m. do it. So it would just be <laughs> – I did it. <laughs> it was just tough. They have seven back-to-backs, I think, and only one home and away. Typically, some of their back-to-backs with closer teams would be a home and an away, back-to-back. So it's going to – I think it's going to be an interesting season. They put out – the training camp roster today, which looks like it's probably going to be the full season roster. And there's only one defenseman from last season. So it's a whole new, which is Dylan Simpson. So it is a whole new defensive core. (laughs) So that will definitely be very interesting to, to watch take place this season. And they're going to win it all, right? If there is a Calder cup playoffs. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is still very much up in the air. Uh, they are unsure if it will happen right now. Their biggest concern is making sure that the season goes off. I love the way they did the schedule though, because if there is an outbreak, there is a, there is time for them to make up games and there's time for them to quarantine without having to cancel games or many games. So that's something that I feel like the NHL messed up, but you live, you learn, well, I guess. Yeah, let's and al- take it one day at a time. And also the Cavs and them don't play on the – yeah. And also the Cavs and them don't play on the same day. Well, there you go. That makes sense. That so, makes sense, though. Yeah. It does. <laughs> so it, uh, it'll it be weird not to see the 
the staff kind of get twitchy when the game goes into overtime and there's supposed to be a Cavs game right after. <laughs> the NWHL play in a bubble this season, and we have a team that we are standing this year, and it is the Buffalo Buttes. Um, Lisa Chesson from Columbus, well, she played for OSU and she works for the AAA. She is playing on the team, but she's not playing this season. I don't know why. Um, but Stefan Mateau's sister, Allison, is playing for the Buffalo Buttes as well. So we stand all Buffalo Buttes games. You can uh, please follow the Ice Garden for SB Nation. They do great work, great coverage. They have for the longest time. I know a lot of these women from when I um, covered the league in the inaugural season. They're great people and they do great work. And I just, they deserve more play than they get. And, um, and, and their manager, Michelle J, she's good. She is on site in Lake Placid covering. Yes. It, so. Yes. And she's the, one of the best photographers ever as well. So keep an eye out for all of that stuff. Um, and we will be tweeting and giving updates as well throughout this time. Uh, the finals will take place on NBC sports network. Uh, the final was that like the fourth and the fifth. Yes. Of February. And you can stream all the games on Twitch. Um, so make sure you do that. The Twitch chat gets really fun and it was so much fun that they started making, um, apparel off of, off of jokes that happen inside of the Twitch chat. So I just, I highly recommend if you love hockey to check it out because these women, they're really good and they deserve, they deserve to get the recognition and they're getting paid and, to do what they love and they don't always get the love for the sport. So. And imagine, imagine that a hockey league that actually make, makes it easy for fans to see their games. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think <laughs> who would have thought, who would have thought that could happen? Not me. Not me. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, yeah. So a big week ahead, the blue jackets, of course, facing off against some familiar faces in the Florida Panthers and a lot of their former teammates tomorrow. And we'll see if the Jackets can keep the momentum going off of Saturday's big win. And with that, we will see you all next week. Subscribe to the Canon Cast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can catch every episode. Leave us a review and a rating. And as always, we welcome your thoughts and feedback. Go to JacketsCanon.com for more Blue Jackets coverage from us. And follow us on Twitter at CBJCanon. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howling Moons. Check out AngelaPerley.com for more music and show dates. Hi, hi.